0: We're going to come today, in just a moment, we're going to read in the Gospel of Mark. You grab your Bible if you want and get ready with me to the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter. We're going to come today to a story in the Gospel of Mark that uh, that is a little unique. At least it's the first time it's mentioned this way. in in our journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, that that the the kind of common thing is that Jesus, we find once again a story of him teaching a large crowd of people. Now that's nothing new for Jesus, that he'd be teaching a large crowd of people, because everywhere Jesus went, people followed him. But what's new in the story we're going to read today is that Mark, the author of of the Gospel, points out that on this particular day, that Jesus taught the crowd differently than he'd ever taught the crowd before that on this day, it says he taught the crowd using parables. That he taught the crowd um, in a way that wasn't as straightforward as he would maybe could have taught them in other times. He used parables to teach them. And I think it's interesting for us to start knowing that because Mark points it out on purpose. He points out the fact that he's going to teach with parables on this particular day um, so that we understand that he's teaching about parables or with parables and that we look at the literature as the fact that it's a parable, and that we know how to properly then unpack it and interpret it. So when we look at what we're going to read today, let's re- understand that in the first half we're going to read today, it's Jesus just telling a parable, and the second half he's going, to, he's going to interpret it for us or explain it to us. But that this is a parable, and you think, well, what's that really mean, a parable? Well, a parable is a short story, a short, simple story, that's designed to teach, in biblical setting, a spiritual truth. Now you can have other parables that aren't spiritual. Aesop's fables, you know, parables and different parables. But but you know what? This, in biblical sense, it, a parable is a short, simple story designed to teach a spiritual truth. And what a parable does is it kind of hides a truth within a story that's about something else other than a spiritual issue so that as a person mulls over the story, you think about it, you, you, you kind of think, well, what's he talking about? You mull it over and you work through it. That the spiritual truth that's in the story is discovered. And then it's applied. Well, we know something. There's a reason why Jesus did this. That if you discover a truth for yourself, it'll be more, more um, world-changing than if I just tell you a truth. And so parables are designed to tell us a story so that we'll kind of mull it over and think about it, and we'll discover truth, and as we discover the truth, then we'll apply truth to our lives. And I think maybe in a practical sense, the way what a parable is most easily compared to is kind of like Christmas morning, when you get a gift and it's wrapped up, or your birthday, you get a gift and it's wrapped up, and you don't know what's in the box, and you unwrap the box, and you open it up and you discover what's inside of it. That's what a parable is designed to do. It wraps up this truth in a story. And then as we unpackage it, we discover something that the Lord wants to say to us today. And that's what we find Jesus doing here. Teaching this crowd of people, using parables, so they can learn something and then apply it to their lives. So let's look at what the first one is. Because is, there's going to be a number of parables that are going to be in the next, the next uh, section of Scripture. And actually, Pastor Bruce next week will be preaching, and he's going to deal with the next section of Parables. And so I'm going to deal with the first one today. And this one today we're going to deal with, chapter 4, starting in verse 1, is one of Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the sower and the soils. But I would say this, it's also probably one of the most misunderstood. I really believe that. Because I think I've misunderstood it, misapplied it a lot in my life. And so hopefully we can kind of straighten some of that out today as we look at it. Chapter 4 of Mark, starting in the first verse, we're going to read down to chapter to verse 20. It says, and he began, who's he? Jesus. Jesus, capital H there. He began to teach again by the sea. Pastor Peter, I was thinking of you this morning when I read this. He's always by the sea. Isn't that kind of nice? He's a smart guy like you. He's always by the water. You know, you live on the water. And so I was thinking, Jesus has got something going on here. He's always by the water. And so he begins to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea and land, circled kind of on a semicircle on the shore. And he's out in the boat. Verse 2. And he was speaking to them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And he wasn't sowing. Understand, he's not talking about sowing thread. He's talking about a person in that culture who is planting seeds. And the the imagery would be of a guy with his pouch on the side full of seed and he's walking through through a field and he's casting seed out into the field. He's sowing seeds. The sower... Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And he was sowing. Some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen... It was scorched, and it, because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Interesting, the same thing he said last week in the text that we read out of another book. Saying, listen, if you hear me, you better hear he his ears let him hear. Verse 10. And as soon as he was alone, his followers along with the 12 began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, "To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, and otherwise they might return and be forgiven." And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, the word of God. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places who... When they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but only are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. But the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it, and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And we'll stop at that end of that parable. question we have to ask ourselves today is what's the spiritual truth that Jesus was trying to get the crowd to understand on that day from the parables? Remember, a parable has got truth hidden within it. It's a story designed to be unpacked so that we can discover some truth. What's the truth Jesus was trying to get that crowd that day to understand and the truth that Jesus today wants you and me to understand? Because the Word is eternal. It's for them and it's for us. And he's trying to get them to understand something. He's trying to get us to understand something. What's he want to communicate to us today through this parable? Well, for us, it should be easy to figure that out because not only do we get the parable... But we, always get, we also get chapter 10 on that gives the explanation of the parable. And in the explanation of the parable, we see the answer. And the main answer we have to the question of what is Jesus trying to teach us is, is that the main thing that Jesus teaches in this, wants to accomplish in this parable is he wants those who hear his word, something we're doing today, who hear his word, he wants people who hear his word to grow spiritually and to become spiritually fruitful. But not all people who do hear his word grow and will become spiritually fruitful. He wants it, what he's trying to communicate from the story is that people are going to hear his word, and his desire is that those who hear it will receive it, it will be effective, they will develop spiritually, and they will develop fruit, he says, 30, 60, and 100 fold. But he says not everybody who re- hears the word will, will grow it all and produce any fruit at all. That's the message that Jesus has wrapped up in this story about farming, about casting wheat. Some in the, some in the hard place, and some in the soft place, and some in the weedy place, um, some in the shallow place. You know, he's not talking about farming in his story. He really doesn't care about weed control. It's not the story. He doesn't really care about soil preparation in farming. Farmers care about that, but that's not what Jesus is getting at. He's not trying to teach a seminar on how to plant, how to grow seeds in a field and how to make sure you get the best produce from the from the result. He's trying to communicate to you and me that as people hear his word, his desire is that they would grow spiritually and produce fruit spiritually but he's saying it doesn't happen in everybody's life we need to understand something from this parable it's that jesus's desire for you and jesus's desire for me is that we would not only be fruitful today we're going to talk about what that means in a minute but that we would ever be increasing in our fruitfulness and the reason I want to point that out is sometimes in our Christian walk we get to a place, we, we started way down here somehow, and we get to that place and we begin to rise in our maturity level and we begin to develop some fruit in our lives, and somebody looks at us and says, Yeah, you really seem like a Christ follower. And we just stagnate right there. I think it's a huge dilemma that we face. I face it. Suzanne faces it. We'll face it. We get right there and we say, Well, that's good enough. And Jesus is trying to communicate. He says, No, I desire you not just to stay at 30% production, but I want you to be 60% production. I want you to be 100% productive. He's trying to say to us that he wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to develop those things within our lives that should grow in a, healthy, a spiritually healthy person, because that's what fruitfulness is. You know, he's not saying we should grow bananas. He's saying there's things that should develop in our lives that should, that should, that should reveal a fruitfulness, an abundance in our lives. And, and I think in order for us to, to look at the rest of the parable, I want to take just a few minutes and talk about what that fruit should look like so that we can look inside our lives and say, is it growing in me and am I developing fruit? So let's look at two scriptures. And again, we're going to take just a few minutes to do this. And the reason we're going to take a few minutes is, is I don't want to divert us from the heart of what this text is trying to say because it's got something so important for us to say. But I think we need to understand what the fruit is he's talking about. So let's look at two verses real quick. Grab your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians with me. The first one we're going to read, and we're just going to kind of read these and mention a little bit about these so that you can say, okay, that's the fruit he's talking about. First one is Galatians chapter 5. It's going to deal with character qualities that we should see developing and growing in us from the inside out. Galatians chapter 5, probably a a couple verses of Scripture that that many of us are very familiar with. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said we should produce fruit. So he defines here in Galatians what that fruit looks like. Verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5 says this. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What we have in the book of Galatians, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is a definition of what the fruit of the Spirit would look like. The fruit of a life controlled by and developed by the Holy Spirit. It's a list of character qualities that should be present and ever-growing in Christ's followers. Scripture calls it fruit. I've got a question for us to ponder about that fruit today. Who wants more joy in their life? I do. You know, who wants more peace in their life? Who wants more self-control in their life? We wouldn't have to sell diet pills if we could bottle it. Right? Isn't that what diet pills are all about? It's about self-control. You know, if I could bottle the fruit of the Spirit, I could be a bazillionaire. If I could give somebody a pill, we try it every day, don't we? We try to, to do it through all kinds of other external means to give a person a way to feel joyful. We try to bottle it somehow or, or divert our attention for, to other things in the world that will somehow give us peace. If I can just sit and meditate in the forest, I'll be at peace. No, you won't. Because wherever you go, you go with you. That's a terrible reality experience sometimes when you're not happy. Wherever you go, you go with you. So it doesn't matter if it's at the lake or in the woods. If you don't have joy here, you won't have joy there. If you don't have peace here, you won't have peace there. If you don't have self-control here, you won't have self-control there. See, Jesus in his parable is trying to teach us something. He's teaching that that these fruit are outcomes, that's a development, it's it's the natural outflow of growing and developing in him by the work and the influence of his word. I can sell it to you. I can sell it to you. I can give it to you. It's right here. He's trying to make a point that the way to develop that fruit is to be a person of this book. And that's where the joy comes from. That's where the love will come from. As we interact and grow and develop with the truths of the Word of God, that's where the self-control will come from. It's from the work and the influence of His Word. That living in Christ should cause these character qualities to grow because they are the fruit of the Spirit's reality in our lives as we're going to see in a few minutes if these aren't growing in our lives if they're not present then there's an issue with us in how we receive god's word because that's what the parable is going to teach us so the first type of fruit that we want to look at just real we've looked at real briefly today is the fruit of character qualities called the fruit of the spirit but there's another kind of fruit that i want to mention today and again just kind of mention in passing that, that deals with fruit that should develop in our spiritual lives. And this one doesn't deal with, with um, character qualities. This deals with things that we do. Turn over just a couple pages further in your Bible from Galatians to the next book, the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at three verses. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Now interestingly, if I said today, who could quote Ephesians um, 2, 8, 9, I bet you half our congregation could quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's one of the first couple of verses most people usually learn and memorize as Christians because it's a great couple of verses. But I bet you if I would have given a test and said in the beginning of the service, who can quote Ephesians 2, 10, almost nobody could. But 2, 10 is just as important as 2, 8, 9. Look at it. Starting in verse 8, Ephesians chapter 2, it says, "...for by grace you have been saved through faith." And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one may boast. And we all celebrate that. We say, I'm saved by grace. And we quote this verse all the time. But look at verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, you've been saved by grace, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk In them. Verse 10 will make you stand up straight and say, Wow. He says, We have been created to do works that were created beforehand, before we ever came to Christ. That He created us, He saved us to do good works that He planned on us doing before we were ever saved he's got a plan for your life and he wants you to accomplish certain things in your life. He wants to work through you to see those things done. He's got a master plan and we need to participate with it. He said, I've saved you to do good works. Those good works are fruit of our lives. They're the results of walking with him and interacting with his word. You see, as we walk with Jesus, he inspires us and he challenges us to do the kind of things that he did. He challenges us to do Passport to Compassion. We wouldn't do that without Jesus. Why do we waste our time? He challenges us to care for hurting. He inspires us to help the poor. He inspires and challenges us to heal the sick. So we pray for people. He, um, he challenges us to, to, to find the lost. He challenges us. Friday night, a bunch of our men in our church went to a movie about being godly, more godly dads. He challenges us to do the things that he thinks are important. Things that we never would have done if Jesus wasn't in our lives. Friends, these things are fruit. This is what the fruit is. And Jesus wants us who hear his word to grow and become spiritually fruitful in good works as well as in character qualities. Does that make sense this morning? it seem clear? So he says we should be fruitful. That's what he's talking about. Now let's get back to the Parable. Let's understand something. The main point of the parable we're going to talk about today for the rest of our time. Main thing Jesus taught was this. What makes someone fruitful? Seeing those character qualities and those good works, what makes someone fruitful or keeps them from being fruitful isn't the seed that's planted. It's not the seed. He never blames the seed for a lack of fruitfulness. Because the seed, what's the seed, he says, is what? It's the what? The Word. It's the book. It's God's Word, the Bible. He never blames the seed. Because that's God's Word, and the God's Word is eternal, and it's unchanging, and it's always able to bring growth and change, and we have thousands of years of history of people interacting with God's Word and being challenged and changed because of it. And so he never blames the Word. What makes the difference, he says... In being fruitful or not being fruitful is the condition of the soil that the seed is planted in. And he makes the application of his parable in verses 10-20. through He says what it is is the condition of the individual heart and life that hears the word. He says the thing that determines whether or not the seed will take root is not the seed because the seed is God's word and it's eternal. It's perfect. What determines whether or not it will take root and grow and develop is a condition of an individual's heart and life. That a person grows and becomes fruitful, or does not grow and isn't fruitful, based upon their own receptivity to the word that they receive. Basically saying this, I'm responsible for me, and you're responsible for you. I want to tell you, that is a bombshell that Jesus has woven into, has hidden in his teaching. He hid a truth so that we'd unpack it. And you go, Oh wow. That's the main truth he's trying to get to us today. He's hidden this truth so that we'd unwrap it and would smack us, you know, right between the eyes and say, The reason that person's fruitful or unfruitful isn't because of the, the word. It's because of my ability to receive the word. He reveals that fruitfulness isn't. Fruit, let's say it this way, he reveals that fruitlessness isn't the pastor's fault. And I say hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> he says Fruitful, fruitlessness isn't God's Word's fault. He says it's not your parents' fault, it's not your spouse's fault or responsibility, that a person gro- person's growth and fruitfulness is directly tied to their own willingness and receptivity to the word that they hear. Look back at Mark chapter 4 with me. Something maybe you never noticed before about this parable. It's why I think we misunderstand it so often. What's interesting in this text is that each of the four conditions that he points out about the condition of people's hearts, each of the four Jesus identifies that the people in that unique condition, three out of the four of which don't produce any fruit, all heard the Word. And it was their receptivity to the Word that determined what would happen. Look at it. Look at verse 15. It says these are, I, This is what I think happens, because the way it's written here is kind of odd. He's giving the explanation. He says, these are the ones. I think he points to some people. And he says, these are the ones who are beside the road where the Word is sown, and when they hear, when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the Word, which was sown in them. Then he looks at another group and he goes, and these, in a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And then he looks and he says, and others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns and these are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. He says, And then those, he points, are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word, they heard it, and accept it, and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Friends, he's trying to say this, a person grows and becomes fruitful based upon their own receptivity to the word that they hear. And it's God's intention, friends, for the fruit of the Spirit and for good works to be growing and developing in each of our lives. And if that is not happening, and you need to be honest with ourselves, I needed to look in the mirror when I, produced, when I, when I developed this message today. I had to look in the mirror and say, is the fruit growing? And you know what I said? I said, man, i got a long ways to go. Ask yourself the question, do you bear more fruit than you did 12 months ago? See, if the fruit's not growing and you're not developing, then we need to ask ourselves, why are we not being receptive to the word of God that we are hearing? Because he says the only thing that determines whether or not we produce fruit is not the fruit and not the seed. It's our receptivity to the seed. And in the story, Jesus, because he loves us so much, he says as you're going to look in the mirror, you're going to say, man, I'm not all there yet. I need to grow and change. So what he does in his story here, in his parable, is he shows three reasons why someone can hear the word, because they all heard it, And not be changed and not be blessed by it. Because he wants you to change and he wants you to be blessed. He wants me to be blessed. And friends, he points out areas to help us. To say, if if we look in the mirror and we say, you know what, I'm not really bearing more fruit than I did 12 months ago. He says, here's some reasons why. And what our challenge is today is to hear what he says and if the Holy Spirit identifies within you a condition that is robbing you of fruitfulness, then you ask Jesus to help you. Because he only points these things out to help us to get better and to be more fruitful. So he points out three negative conditions. The first condition that he points out in his parable, he says Hind- that's hindering fruitfulness, he says is having a hard heart in verse 15. He said some is like the seed that fell on the hard path and the enemy comes in and snatches it away. It's a seed is scattered on a hard place where it can't, it can't get into it. And because there's no softness, quickly it says, as quickly Satan comes in and he takes it away. It never, it never has a chance to even get established. Well, there's two things that I think we need to notice here about this one. First thing is this, and sometimes we don't accept this as being true, but the Bible says it is true. It says it's Satan who takes it away. That he steals it before it can ever take root and grow. And I want you to understand something, church. That one of Satan's greatest desires is to steal God's word from you before it has ever taken root because he wants people to be damned and unfruitful. That's what he wants. There is a real Satan, and that's really what he wants. And I want to challenge you today, the same way I challenge myself. This is a a mature thing I'm going to challenge you to today. That when you feel resistant to making changes that are prompted from God's Word, that will lead to unfruitfulness, you know they will because you're not lining up with what God's truth says. Understand something today. That Satan is the person who is encouraging that resistance. You I said? When you are resistant to what God's Word says, it's not because you don't like the preacher. I don't like, I don't like that today he wore a sport coat when he normally doesn't. It's not that it was too hot in the sanctuary. It's not that I didn't like the songs in advance. It's not that whatever the excuse could be. When we find ourselves being resistant to to making changes and adapting and, and being conformed to the very image of God that is the Word of God is challenging us to, that resistance inside of us is not coming from God, that resistance itself is literally coming from Satan and he's encouraging you to be resistant to God's Word. And I simply say to you this way, don't let the devil win. Don't let him win. We don't have to let him win. We can say, God, bring it on. Change me. That's the first thing. Of this, hard, of this hard, where the seed's planted on the hard soil. Second thing we need to understand is this. We need to figure out how in the world does Satan steal the word before it can take root? He says, Satan, this, in this one, one out of four, he says, the word's planted, it falls in the hard ground, and Satan snatches it up, kind of like a bird. He draws a picture, comes in and snatches it up before it can ever sink into the soil. How does that happen? Well, this is where the comparison to the, to the hard past, why he put it in a word picture called a parable. where the the comparison to the hard path comes in. Think about this word picture that Jesus is painting here. He's painting a picture of a man or a woman with his bag on their side, full of seed, walking through a field, and he's casting the seed out, and he's walking along as he casts the seed. Some of the seed falls in the field, and some of it, not even the man's intention, some of it falls on this hard path. That's along the edge of the field. The the, the path that you normally walk on, to get from this field to that field to that field, And there's this hard path, and some of the seed falls on that hard path that's at the edge of the field. Think about something. What distinguishes that hard path from this soft field over here? Where here the Word of God sinks into it, but here it sits on top of it so the the enemy can come and snatch it away. What distinguishes the soft from the hard? I think it's really simple. That's what his word picture is trying to teach us. is that the path has been beaten rock hard as people have walked on it, and oxen have pulled carts on it, and wheels of the carts have gone on it. Just like if you have a, a place in a field or a woods that you walk on repeatedly, it gets hard. He's trying to say, picture, this hard path has been, become hard because of the constant activity that's going on on this path. But the field has been tilled up, and it's been made soft. The only difference between the, the field and the hard path is that this one's been broken loose, and this one's had constant activity, beating it down, beating it down, beating it down, and making it rock hard. Well, friends, I believe the main emphasis of Jesus' metaphor here has to do with busyness. I honestly believe this is what he's trying to teach us. It's busyness. The continual activity on the path that makes it hard. That we as people so often beat the ground of our lives, asphalt hard, with our constant activity, and our hearts can become like a hard path, when we are continually, and to me, and I tried to pick these words carefully, when we are constantly on the go and take no time for contemplation or spiritual thought. Because the contemplation and the spiritual thought actually breaks up the hardness. Friends, understand me today. and This is an American malady. And I would say this. Men more than women, it's a male malady. And it keeps us from developing fruit. A mind that is always on the go, doesn't engage in the moment. A mind that's always running somewhere else doesn't engage in the moment, in the moment when God's word is given, because that mind is really mentally and emotionally somewhere else. It's thinking about something else. God's Word is being presented here, but it's really because of It's, it's a mind that's frenzied and it's always on the go. It's always thinking about something else. It's a hard mind and the Word can't penetrate it because you're never in the moment. And that preoccupation creates a hardness that keeps God's Word from penetrating and being able to take root. I would take a bet today if somebody offered it to me. You say, oh, you're a gambler? No, I'm not. But it's a safe bet. Suzanne knows. I only say, I'll bet you if I'm 100% sure I'm right. (laughs) And I like to lose. I would take a bet today that as we're talking right now, some in this room are thinking about something else. You're not engaged in the moment. You're thinking about something later or something that happened earlier. You're thinking about the Brewers' victory last night. I hesitate to even say this because it's going to make your mind go somewhere else. I don't want to do that. But I want to point out to you so that God can help you if this is you. You're thinking about something else. You're thinking about the Badgers' victory or the Brewers' victory or today that the Packers are going to stomp on the Denver Broncos. That's what you're thinking about. When we think about something else at a moment when the Word of God is when God's trying to, to, to penetrate our hearts... With his word. When our minds are somewhere else. We're thinking about the business deal. We're thinking about the work that has to get done. We're thinking about what we're going to do next Saturday. Or this Sunday afternoon. Friends, that preoccupation. Keeps you from receiving what God wants to say to you in this moment. And the word picture he's painting. Is He's saying that that creates a hardness. That makes the seed sit right up on top. The seed of the word. And the enemy comes right in. And he monopolizes on it. And he snatches it away and you produce no fruit. I say that today, obviously just trying to be honest with the word, but that's what I thought. How do I, what do I say after saying that? I simply say this, let's just think about that. And ask God, is that me? That's the first thing he said renders people fruitless. Let's look at the second one. Second condition that Jesus says from his parable that hinders fruitfulness... He says it's called shallow soil or a shallow heart. And the picture he paints here is of a seed falling into just a little teeny thin layer of soil that's on top of some very hard surface. Maybe it's rocky or maybe it's cart path-like, it's hard, and there's a little bit of topsoil on top of that, and the seed falls into the soil, it's got enough depth to fall into it, but then when it germinates and it sprouts, its roots can't go down deep because of the hardness, and when the sun comes out, it fries it, and it withers away, and he dies. I think the condition he's talking about here, when he's not talking about farming, he's talking about our hearts, I think the condition he's talking about here, arises, from a misunderstanding about Christianity as a whole. It's talking about someone who sprouts up quickly and falls away quickly. It's a misunderstanding about Christianity as a whole. It's a false belief that when a person comes to Christ, that everything in life becomes easy and there's no more problems. Is that true? Can you turn on about a dozen preachers on TV this morning that will tell you it's true? You can can you go to a thousand churches in our state today, and I'm not trying to criticize them, I'm just trying to point out a truth, that will tell you that's true? There are. It's all blessing. It's all just wonderful when you come to Jesus. Friends, with that false belief as a shallow foundation of a person's spiritual life, what happens is when a problem arises, the person gives up on God. He walks away from the things of God. They usually quit the church they're attending. All things that obviously render them fruitless. You want to know some reality today? If you want to produce fruit, if you want to really be fruitful, let me tell you something that's a reality, it's a truth today. The reality is that Christians still face problems. Hear this. And it's during the problems. It's during your walking through the problems of life that much of the character fruit in your life will be developed. It's walking through adversity that causes you to grow and develop. Simple illustration. You don't ever learn how to love if you only have to love people who are easy to love. But if you have to love people that are hard to love, you have an opportunity to grow in love. It's the hard times that give you the opportunity to grow in love. If you want to see yourself blossom with Christ, then don't run from problems when they hit. Don't blame God and and get bitter. Rather, ask God to make you better through the situation, through the challenge. Friends, fruitlessness, fruitlessness comes from running away. But fruitfulness comes from standing strong and digging deep into God's word and running to God and running to his people. The third thing. The last condition that Jesus says hinders fruitfulness. He calls it a divided heart. You want to know what a divided heart is? I think the easiest way to explain it a divided heart he says produces unfruitfulness and you know what it is? It's a life lived saying that Jesus is number one. Hands raised in worship. Jesus is my all and all. He got a t-shirt on. You know, k Your bumper sticker. You got the little fish on the back of your car. It's a life lived saying Jesus is number one, but living with other things that really are number one in your life. And Jesus, just, he just says this. He just names some common things that compete for first place. In the lives of his people. That's so all encompassing, I don't know how any of us couldn't, couldn't be affected. He says, These are the things that really can take first place in your life if I'm not really first place. He says, The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. Well, if he would have just stopped after two, we could have just done. But he throws that third one in the desire for other things. Well, I guess that pretty much wraps up anything else. That takes first place in our life. Jesus said that these things, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, do something. It's very interesting how he picks the word word picture. He says it chokes the word of God. You hear the word, remember they hear the word still, but it chokes it. It keeps the word from getting nourished and from growing and then it doesn't produce any fruit. You know what? We're not going to spend a lot of time on talking about this one right now. You know why? If you weren't here last Sunday... What you need to do is you need to get the free podcast from our website. You need to listen to the sermon. Because basically the whole sermon last week, 30 minutes, dealt with this idea. And so go to the podcast and download it and listen to it. Because I really believe with all my heart it was a message from God to this church. And I was, I was, I was broken hearted. Because I really believe it was a message from God that so many of our regular church family wasn't here. For whatever reason. So get it and download it. I don't care if you get it on the internet or you get it live. Get it. Because God has a message. What I want to do today is simply say this. That according to Jesus in this text, a heart which is overcome with a love for riches, he says, or worry or the things of the world is not a believing heart. Jesus made a statement in Scripture that is so hard to even want to read. It says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus' words, not mine. But he could also have rewritten that in other words, instead of saying you will love one, you will you'll hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and recreation. You cannot serve God and the worries of the world. You cannot serve God and desire for other things. Jesus says you you can only have one first place in your life. And we simply need to ask ourselves, who or what is really number one in my life? And if you're uncomfortable with the answer, and I am at times about myself, then I know it's time for a change. See, remember, a person grows and becomes fruitful or doesn't grow and be fruitful based upon their own receptivity to the Word of God that they hear. What are they going to do with what they hear? Are they going to brush it off? Or are they going to internalize it? Are they going to ignore it because they're thinking about something else and not engage in the moment? Or are they going to say, God, put those things aside. Help me to focus on what you're saying to me today. Because, friends, Jesus wants those who hear his word to grow and to be fruitful. And my challenge for you as your pastor is let's be good soil. And let's produce a great fruitful harvest. The word of God will do the work. We just have to hear it, we have to ask God to help it help us to receive it so it can change us. That makes sense today? Would you stand with me?